Welcome, everybody. It's time once again to grab your board and catch a wave as we ride the sales pipeline with the master of the sales pipeline universe, Matt Hines. How are you doing, Paul? Okay. How do you like that one? Is that a good one? Uh, it's, you know, I, I've kind of become numb to all the various uh, <laughs> titles and superlatives you continue to throw out here. Um, it's fun. It's uh, it's always it's always exciting to see what you're going to come up with. But, uh, I am not worthy, my friend. But uh, thank you very much for the intro. I appreciate everyone joining us today. Another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. We are here every Thursday at 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific. Uh, if you're joining us live, I appreciate you joining us in the middle of your workday. If you're joining us through the podcast, thanks very much for subscribing you can catch every episode of sales pipeline radio at google play and the itunes store and you can catch all past episodes as well at salespipelineradio.com every week we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds interviews discussions updates new data and trends in b2b sales and marketing we cover the entire funnel not just the top or the bottom but everything that's working to help companies build sustainable repeatable pipelines very excited today to have with us john hall he's the co-founder and ceo of influence and company in his business helps is really specializes in creating content that helps fuel companies content marketing efforts helping their employees become influencers in the industry a very hot topic in a lot of circles in b2b marketing so excited to have john with us here today john thanks very much for joining us thanks for having me can you hear me fine yeah, you sound great. So uh, I appreciate you joining us, and I know that a lot of marketers and a lot of even salespeople are thinking about the idea of influence, what influence means. Um, you know, could you give us what is your definition of influence in a B2B context, in a sales pipeline context? What does it mean, and why is it important? Yeah, I mean, for, for this context, uh, to me, it's, it's pretty simple, is that you know, if you can engage people in a way that change, that results in a behavior that results in either a sale or something positive, whether it's brand advocacy, a lead, a referral. That is, is, is good. You know, that's a, a great way to have influence from this standpoint. And so, um, you know, for the purposes of this call and, and a lot of the times I'm talking to salespeople, it's about how you're engaging with um, different audiences to get them to change a behavior that's positive in your direction, resulting in a sale, uh, brand advocacy, partner referral, or uh, something uh, also beneficial. So what can you help us break that down a little bit? Because I think a lot of people, when they think about influence, they think about it one of two ways. Either sort of, and I sometimes I think about this in terms of outbound and inbound influence. You know, like some you know, in a lot of cases, you're trying to engage with people that already have influence uh, to to sort of share the message about your brand, your story. Uh, in other cases, you're trying to create. Uh, influence. You're trying to become an influencer um, that can sort of join those ranks and, and and gain you know sort of notoriety for your organization. How do you think about that? Is it is that an appropriate way to think about the differences, or is there a different way you guys think about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like for for me, influence. It's actually. I mean, from a sales standpoint, uh, it's pretty simple. Is that if you can get someone to trust you, and if you can stay top of the mind. So that when they're in a moment to, um, you know, to purchase or to have one of those those moments that I talked about being beneficial, then that is the the purpose of, of building influence. And so there's a variety of ways to build trust. And I'm not saying they have to be, you know, the person you call or you're the person they call when they're in jail. Trust. I'm saying that there's there's different ways to have. I call them trust touch points. So uh, points of which. You engage with them where they, uh, like, for example, um, a lot of times in sales, it's helping them out in some way. So if you got them a an article that was valuable to them that addressed a, a pain point. So it could be coming from you or it was something you curated, 
but um, ultimately it was something valuable to them. They go, wow, that was nice, or that was really helpful towards me. And it, it, it has a small little touch point that creates a, you know, a moment of trust that, that uh, over time, the more you have those, the more that you gain um, you know, their attention. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, the it, it's diving in deep to all the things that are those trust touch points making sure that you're doing them, um, you know, as consistently as you can. And then uh, most of the time, those will result in some sort of a, you know, a, a good benefit for you. Talking today to John Hall, who's the CEO and co-founder of Influence and Company. You can check them out at influenceandco.com. Yeah, I think a lot of organizations, as they as they warm up to the idea of influencer marketing, I mean, they're thinking about that as sort of influencer marketing and content marketing together. Uh, they're also sort of in many cases curious, like, who owns this? You know, I think it's you know, marketing should, in many cases, owns it. I don't see a lot of sales organizations owning it, but who in the organization should own it? It's getting assigned, in many cases, I see to PR departments, you know, that have had media relations and analyst relations, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about how PR and influencer marketing work together? And I think especially in your context where you guys are doing a lot of guest contributed content, you yourselves are a contributor to Inc. Magazine, a columnist at Forbes. Um, I think the lines are blurring a little bit. How should people be, be thinking about that and how do they operationalize that? Yeah, well, they've kind of all merged together, to be honest with you. I mean, before you had PR uh, marketing, recruiting, sales, all very separate. But what happened is that, that over the last 10, 15 years, sales has changed. Like I grew up on door-to-door sales. Now it's changed to that what we're a lot of times offering is um, is being focused on the, uh, the, uh, the audience or the consumer or the potential sale and how we can help them and, engage, and get them good information, help them out in a certain way. And that's what changed the this kind of trend of, sales is standalone because now marketing is creating content and PR is creating content that's valuable and can be used in other parts of the business. And so um, that's why, um, you know, PR, I think, and, and marketing have merged uh, for a lot of companies. The CMO oversees both. Um, and then that's something also that a lot of times the CMO uh, oversees sales uh, or at least has a very good connection um, with that head of sales. And so you've got to look at it as that okay, what are we doing from a sales side of things? What are we doing to listen to com- customers? And um, what I call content triggers or triggering is when there's a moment where a salesperson um, listens to a customer and realizes, wow, there's an aha moment. Something I said to them was super engaging and helped with the sale. Or there's this moment where they have a sales barrier where we're not, it's not hidden very well. Um, and so they have to communicate that back to them central point or, or, or department that's leading that. A lot of times right now it's still marketing, you know, but it's starting to merge into like a head of strategy will be um, dictating that. Um, but it's important to have those content triggers because then that team who's, who, let's say it's a marketing team, they can fuel your efforts by creating content based on those aha moments or content triggers that you can use. Um, directly, but then also they can feed the industry with that content so that those barriers um, happen less and less, and there's content to support when you're selling to people. And so um, the, the short answer to that is that, um, you know, most of the time, you know, it, it, these, these kind of areas of marketing and PR kind of combining in, in a way and merging, and, um, you know, there's a central content creation or creating um, or, uh, or team that's creating content that both PR, marketing, you know, they're using, and um, there's an overall strategy uh, between 
you know, when we get a PR mention, this is what it's important to have in there. When we're doing byline pieces, this is what we need to get in there so that it's useful for not just brand awareness, but also our sales and marketing team. So how do you engage existing outside influencers as part of this as well? I mean, in every industry, there's a handful of people that already have influence. I mean, you know, I think you know, if we were talk, having this conversation, you know, 15 years ago, we'd be talking about a, a smaller set of more traditional publications, more traditional journalists and analysts uh, that you really sort of had to engage. Uh, you know, there's a long tail now of individuals that have influence, people that started a blog that became influential, people that work at a company in a function and became. Uh, influential amongst their peers. What are the best practices for companies that want to leverage that sort of that new PR opportunity? You know, those influencers that have an audience uh, that you know, in some cases, you know, aren't held to the same sort of formal rigors of PR and media relations. What are the steps companies can take to begin to build influence among those influencers? Gotcha. Well, the first step is is to actually build your own influence. So it's like it's one to document and actually um, how you're going to build build internal influence. A lot of times, people look at influencer marketing as only external. I don't. I look at influencer marketing as something that is internal and external because you want to build your own influence at the same time. You want to build that, and you also want to build external influence uh, with people that are influencers not within your organization. But it's important that you're looking initially out the gate is how are we um, building up our key employees, our CEO, our VP of sales, our VP of tech as influencers because it will make your life so much easier to to integrate or to work with other uh, influencers in the industry because you have something that they want. There's The one thing that influencers love more than money is more influence. So if what I've realized with our, our company is that once we've actually built a following that people pay attention to us and we have a certain influence, there's a lot of people that have influence that want to do stuff with us. They want to do cross-marketing. They want to do webinars with us. They want to do things that put our kind of influence together so that we can feed off each other. So that's the, that's the first part is that you've got to be very clear is that when, we, when we're doing influencer marketing strategy, it's vital that you're building your own influence first. It makes your life a lot easier down the road. One of the examples that I give is that with speaking, there's a lot of companies that do sponsored speaking a lot where we don't do any of it right now because a lot of times um, conferences are wanting us at their event. At their event. Now, <clears throat> that's because we've spent time building up keynotes throughout our company that we get asked to do that. But there's another company that I just talked to where they're paying for every time they're doing a keynote. And uh, that's, <clears throat> that's why it's so important to earn it first and to build it up from within. Now, to do that, it's making sure that you're committed to it. You're investing in employees, not just one, but actually, you know, several employees that you can have critical mass in case one leaves, but then also that speak to different audiences. Um, it's a lot more powerful when you have three that have very specific, you know, audiences they're going after than one that has, like, a general audience. And so um, you have to look and say, who are we investing within this organization to have influence um, and then, uh, and then, how are we, um, you know, how are we investing in them? Are we doing a byline campaign with a with PR mentions, getting them on lists? Are we investing in their social accounts? Um, what are we doing to get them speaking gigs? There's all these things that happen. Um, it could be we're investing in this person to have a book about this topic. But uh, but what ends up happening when you do that is that th- there is this um, spread effect 
because once you do some of these things, um, th- those don't go away. A book doesn't go away. When you get PR mentions, you can leverage them in sales for you know a year or so afterwards, even longer sometimes. So it's important that you commit to that and then look at how you're leveraging that across the company, not just in their personal brand. Talking to John Hall today, the CEO and founder of Influencer Company. We're going to take a quick break, pay some bills. We'll be right back, talk a lot more about influencer. I like the idea we're thinking about the term inbound, outbound, internal, and external influence. Lots of opportunity for companies here. We're going to try to break it down a little further, help you understand the next steps to how to do this for your own organization. We'll be right back. Sales Pipeline Radio. In a world where the speed of innovation and change in B2B marketing has never been greater, the only thing bigger is the need for clarity, for a blueprint, for a guide, to what's really working and how to apply it specifically to increase sales pipeline growth, velocity, and conversion. That's what you'll find in the Modern Marketer's Field Guide. Download it free at HeinzMarketing.com. Marketers acknowledge that account-based marketing is important, but what does that really mean? ABM requires a deep understanding of your target accounts and the people within its internal buying committee. Are you prepared to launch and drive results from an ABM program in your organization? Get the recording for the Modern Marketers Workshop, ABM, From Strategy to Action and Results, a fully online, on-demand workshop that includes an interactive workbook, the presentation slides, and templates, all for $195. Visit www.heinzmarketing.com slash workshops. That's H-E-I-N-Z marketing.com and get started now. All right, let's get started again with that influencer himself, Matt Hines. Thanks very much, Paul. Uh, excited to have John Hall with us today talking about influence, uh, how to build influence, how to leverage influence, and how to use that to drive business and drive pipeline in your organization. Uh, lots of great guests coming up in future episodes in future weeks here at Sales Pipeline Radio. Next week, uh, we are going to feature our very own Brian Hansford. He is going to join us and talk about the latest research we've seen uh, that his team has conducted around marketing performance management. How are companies better understanding what marketing is working, uh, which marketing they should double down on, which marketing they should start to ramp down and how that can directly impact not only uh, optimization of budgeting, uh, but also pipeline results. In future weeks, we've got Nadja Gaussi uh, joining us uh, to talk about, from Prezi, joining us to talk about conversational sales presentations and much more coming up. Don't make sure you don't miss an episode. Join us at salespipelineradio.com. You can join us uh, live every week on the Sales Lead Management Radio Network. You can also join us via our podcast to make sure you never miss an episode at Google Play and the iTunes store. Uh, we are uh, continuing to discuss influencer marketing with John Hall, who is the founder and president and CEO of Influence & Co. You can check them out at influenceandco.com. And we were talking before the break about uh, helping your internal employees become influencers. And my follow-up question to you, John, is how do you decide who should be one of those influencers. I assume that there is some science in terms of selecting people that are going to be most likely a successful influencer. Is it based on personality? Is it based on insight? Like, what are some of the primary factors that make someone more likely to be successful as an influencer within your company and for your brand? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And there's multiple things that we look at. Um, we look at, one, what's going to benefit the company the most um, from the standpoint of external uh, people and the stakeholders. So, does it, is it going to be valuable um, for the C, like CEO position because that's a lot of times the the looked at as the the top leader of the company. Uh, a lot of times that is the person, and it's pretty obvious they are. 
However, the problem is there's other factors that prevent you from doing that. Where uh, I'll give you an example of one. There's a CEO of a, a, a multi or a multi billion dollar company that I know that would be terrible because he it's impossible for him to get him to respond to anything. So you can't have an effective thought leadership influence or strategy from within when you have someone who's just not going to be effective to work with. And it also sets a terrible example for the other people that follow because ultimately with most companies you want to build off, you know, um, as you grow that thought leadership across the company, you want to build off of it. And if you start with two people that aren't going to um, contribute and have the time to, um, you know, be a part of that, then they're not going to be great for it. And then that's when you look at other options. So, you know, first, obviously, the benefit to the, the company externally, uh, two, who's going to cooperate and actually be a good, um, you know, influencer and thought leader within the organization um, that will make, you know, some time and also is, you know, intelligent to differentiate the content as uh, as well. And then you look at what, what are important strategies for the company. So, for example, there might be uh, we worked with Dell for one campaign where we were focusing on their entrepreneur um, uh, division because that's what Michael's strategic focus was. Uh, was. And so we worked with that the entrepreneurial group there um, because it made sense that that was a strategic focus to get content from them that was influencing that industry um, and targeting entrepreneurs. So it, it made sense that it wasn't coming from somebody like a Michael or you know, the, the main part of the company is, is this specific area. And so there's a variety of things that um, factor in there. Um, also, you know, with the employee, is this person going to be staying around? Does everything point to that? Um, you know, are we set up well where they, they will stick, stick around and not leave after, you know, a couple months? Um, and so there's a variety of those things that we look at. Those are probably like four or five main ones. But there's, there's probably, um, I would say, five to ten other ones that are minor. But you look at that and you say, okay, this makes sense. Um, or, for example, budget could also be an issue. We don't have any budget, so we have to do one or two. Um, so you look at all those factors, and then you map it out and say, okay, here's where we're starting, here's where we can grow, here's what measurements are for that, and then you scale it based on that. And some companies might start off with one or two that end up doing seven or eight, you know, after things get really rolling after a year or two. You asked, or you you brought up uh, one of the criteria of uh, you know trying to identify influencers inside the organization as you know someone that's going to have some longevity. That's a hard thing to control, uh, you know. And so, well, how do you figure out the trade off between having someone that is predisposed to be engaging to become an influencer? Uh, you know, do you put golden handcuffs on those individuals, or do you simply say, okay, we're going to leverage them as long as they're here and benefit from that, even if they end up leaving at some point? Yeah, I mean, you can do that. And, like, I'm not terribly scared of employees leaving. I think that, I, I think it's Branson's quote that, you know, invest in people so that they uh, can leave and treat them well enough so they don't want to or something. I don't know. I could have butchered it, but that's how I feel about things. And <laughs> we've invested in some of the VP's, uh, you know, brands, and we've had uh, one or two leave. Um, as crazy as it has been really beneficial because we've built up their influence and they've gone to another company. And, um, you know, obviously we have non-competes and things like that, but, They've been huge advocates for us, and so it's been as crazy as it is. Um, it's worked out well in our case. I'm not saying that every company, somebody leaves and they have influence and it, like, benefits them. That doesn't always happen. Um, but uh, I would say that uh, we there's a couple things, you know, that you can look at. And, you know, obviously there's things you can put in, you know, compensation that actually, you know, motivates them to stay. It can be, um, you know, how you present them with it is that, hey, we're going to invest in your brand here. Um, so a part of that is that, you know, you're going to, you're going to stick around. We have this, you know, kind of a, this, uh, expectation that, you know, we are going to make, you know, in, invest in you. And this is kind of what the kind of, what we're agreeing to. Um, there's different things you can do 
to say like, okay, well, we're going to be you know supporting, but this this also goes away if you leave, you know. And so there's a variety of things you can do to actually. I mean, what I've found out though is ultimately you've got to like we invest in the people that there's a certain level of trust with, and we've been you know lucky thus far where we haven't had a lot of turnover with those people. Um, a lot of other companies, um, you know, if you can't somewhat you know trust the employees that you're going to be investing a significant amount of resources into, um, then it, it probably won't end up being worth the investment. So how do you get started with this? I mean, what are, what are the components if you were to give someone sort of a checklist, you know, whether or not, you know, they're committed to being, you know, the long-term forever influencer, but the things you need to have, the building blocks, the foundation, is it content? Is it creating content? Is it curating content? Is it having, setting up your social feeds? Uh, is it engaging with other, you know, other influencers? What are some of the building blocks? The people listening to this, that either want to be influencers or want to start to enable the potential influencers in their, influencers in their organization. What are the few things they should be doing uh, to get started. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and here's some inspiration here. And um, uh, is that it was like five or six years ago before. Oh, six years ago before we started this company, I didn't even have a LinkedIn profile. I don't think. If I did, it probably didn't have a picture, and it was crappy. Didn't have any presence. Um, I mean, I would say like outside, like my grandma and and and, uh, and mom and and, and family. But besides that, I was pretty much a nobody um, from a national standpoint, you know. And and it's like um, when you when I look at where I was to where I am today. Now I'm not also the most well known person in the world either. But at the same time, is that the influence that we've built in in five years? Um, just me, it, it, it's it's pretty significant. Um, that's resulted in opportunity for myself and the company. Now, what I did was not rocket science. And um, it's, it's as simple as the first thing is documenting and saying, here is my documented like, strategy for thought leadership, how we're going to build influence. And, and it's, it's not going to happen in two to three months. It's not going to happen um, just like that. But we, we're going to keep moving towards it. We're going to start off. Uh, the most common thing is to obviously document. Here are the things that can be beneficial to building up influence and thought leadership. There's, you know, bylines, op-ed. There's um, uh, PR mentions. There's getting on lists of, of uh, some sort. There's your own media. Um, so, like, your blog, building up, like, what you're doing here with, you know, an audience. Um, that pays attention to you as a trusted source for information. There's all these things that factor in, and there's there's content that you can look at that I've written and different things out there that can help you kind of form um, what that looks like. And then it's just every you know month or two addressing that. Did were, did we move towards where we we were able to create you know some bylines here, uh, for example? Well, bylines like did you get informed? No, it didn't. You're not you're not necessarily just going to all of a sudden get in like every you know dream publication you want or the Times. You got to look and say, okay, well, it might be this starting off with this blog or starting off with this smaller site. My first site that I got in was youngentrepreneur.com. Um, it was, you know, ran by the Torn Brothers, who are good friends of mine now. And I remember my mom actually putting that up on the refrigerator, um, which is, you know, hilarious that at this age I'm 33 and my mom is doing that. But um, it was not like, it was not a Times or, it's a good site, but it was very limited to, to young entrepreneurs at the time. And it's, um, but it did, it did great things, honestly, for me. There's people who saw it, my network started seeing me contribute, and it was a start. And it kept, and I kept going and leveraging things and leveraging things where, you know, then we added kind of press mentions, started building social channels um, as a part of the map that we had created. You know, but always the consistent content coming from me has been consistent from the start because you want to be that trusted source of information that people go to 
So no matter what, the, the documenting strategy has to be core at the beginning. You have to start getting content coming from you. And then a lot of these other things like social for aggregation and some original content, that makes sense. And, you know, the PR mentioned getting talked about as an expert and a leader in different space. There's, or even at this point, having a book. Um, you know, that's kind of this, in year four or five, that's what we knew that we would probably do uh, around this time. And so that's how it all plays, you know, uh, into each other. And over time, as you take those steps, it all starts off with those couple things, and it grows and grows and grows. But you have to be dedicated and committed to keep moving forward and not have this expectation that overnight you're going to be, um, you know, keynoting the largest events in the world. And I think it's that commitment and that patience that sometimes separates those that are successful from those that give up on this. And this is not like a pay-per-click campaign that you can just turn on and expect to see, you know, clicks and results immediately. This takes time. Uh, you know, what are what are just in a, in the couple minutes we have left here to finish up with John Hall, who's the CEO, founder of Influence and Company. You know, what's the recommendations you give people in terms of how long you should expect it take to have to get start to see an ROI from influence marketing? Um, I mean, it just depends on your goals and which ones you're tackling. So, for example, if you're like, hey, we want a bunch of leads to happen that result in sales within, you know, a month or two, uh, you know, that that's harder. I mean, if you want, like, I mean, right now our inbound is a huge part of our business, but it took two or, you know, it probably took a year or two to actually be a major part. Did we see some success, um, you know, early on the first six months to a year? Yes, but it wasn't anything that was going to dramatically change our business. Um, now it does with the inbound leads that, w- that we get. Um, so, like, on sales and, and inbound, you've got to be committed to it. Trust me, there's other ways of sales that you can do to get more sales in short term than what I'm talking about here. In the long term, it's by far one of the best and most scalable, so that's why it's important to do a commitment. In the first six months to a year, you're not going to see anything that's going to change your life, in my opinion. Yes, sometimes there is there are some people that um, have early success, but I just want to set expectations. But then also, it's how you leverage it. So, for example, if we have a client that is like, yes, that is our goal, but we also like one of like the clients that I love is the Hawk Media. Um, is that they like Eric, their CEO, and Tony, their president, they leverage the content in so many different ways. They um, use it in their sales process. They use it for recruiting. Um, they add it to their newsletter. They share it on social. Like, they actually really, really embrace when they just, you know, started initially out the gate creating content, getting the, the you know, PR mentions and these things. And um, and that's why they, they've had a lot of success earlier. So that's an example of one where it's like, okay, well, you know, that, that happened sooner. But then there's other goals that, like, we had one client say, Hey, this is, um, you know, we're, we're specifically only using this. We already know our 200 clients, um, and we don't even have more than 200 clients, but we need to nurture them, and we're going to use this in the sales pipeline. Well, they immediately out the gate started using that content in their sales pipeline um, you know, as a part of the process, and their conversions went up. I think it was like in, the thir- in that six-month span, they went up 50%, which is pretty high. That's a very high number, so the bad expectations, but 50% of conversion increase from adding this thought, this thought leadership content to the sales pipeline. So yeah. that was a little different where it's like, hey, that's not lead generation. That's helping convert with sales. So it depends on kind of what your goals are, but those are some examples of kind of expectations to have. 
Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I want to thank our guest, John Hall from Influence and Company. You can learn more about them at influenceandco.com. We're going to have to jump and let some other, let some other companies and other, other, uh, other hosts have their show here, Paul. But thanks very much for joining us on Sales Pipeline Radio. If you want to hear more uh, and share this uh, conversation about influence marketing with others on your team, you definitely go to salespipelineradio.com, find that replay, and also obviously join us on the podcast at the Google Play and iTunes Store. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next week. For my producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. We'll see you next week. Sales Pipeline Radio. You've been listening to Sales Pipeline Radio, all things Sales Pipeline, with your host, Matt Hines, right here in the Funnel Radio Channel for at-work listeners like you.